So I'm kind of sad today because this is the last Sunday of our Testimony of a Believer series. And personally, I've enjoyed this so much. And I've gotten lots of good feedback. And so I think we'll probably revisit this again um, at some point in the future because I know there's some other folks that have stories to share and I think we would like to hear them because it is a beautiful reminder of how amazing it is that God uses all of us for God's kingdom work. Whether we know it or not, whether we're expecting it or not, and that brings us to today's scripture story. This morning, our scripture testimony is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But first, I want to flash back to last week. So I invited everyone last week to take a moment with your family or with a friend to tell them about a time you had an encounter with Jesus. So for those of you that were here, how'd that go for you? And if you didn't, would you do me a favor, make a note in the the notes in your church app that you've got on your phone or write a note on your bulletin to remind yourself to try again this week and to have that conversation. But today we're going to take it even a step further and we're going to move from, from telling others about an encounter with Jesus to even sharing the good news with someone else. You see, the Ethiopian eunuch was a religious, had a religious experience on his way from the temple in Jerusalem while he was on pilgrimage. He's an outsider because eunuchs have been physically altered in a way that makes him unholy by the religious rules of the time. And yet, he is still yearning for God. So I invite you to hear his story from the book of Acts, from chapter 8 verses 26 through 40. An angel from the Lord spoke to Philip, at noon take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he did. Meanwhile, an Ethiopian man was on his way home from Jerusalem where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and an official responsible for the entire treasury of Candace. Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen. He was reading the prophet Isaiah while sitting in his carriage. The spirit told Philip, approach this carriage and stay with it. Running up to the carriage, Philip heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you really understand what you are reading? The man replied, without someone to guide me, how could I? Then he invited Philip to climb and sit with him. This was the passage of scripture he was reading. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before it, shearer is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away from him. Who can tell the story of his descendants because his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, about whom does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Starting with that passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. As they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water, what would keep me from being baptized? He ordered that the carriage halt. Both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water where Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Lord's spirit suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. 
Philip found himself in Azutus. He traveled through that area preaching the good news in all the cities until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of God for all God's people. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May your word for each of us today be heard in the shared stories of your faithful servants this morning. Amen. I find this story so interesting. The eunuch, an exotic pilgrim from a faraway land, is beyond frustrated. I wonder if his desire to study and to learn from scripture is born out of his recent experience of being rejected from worship because of being a eunuch. You see, he was rejected not because of his piety or because his practice was off base, but because of his nationality, he was not a Jewish native, and because of forbidden castration. However, God didn't reject him because out of this desire, out of this desire to learn, God responds by presenting Philip, one of Jesus' disciples' apostles, to lend a hand. Thankfully, the humility of the Ethiopian pierces through this situation because of that desire to learn. You see, the Ethiopian was a powerful man holding a powerful financial position in the court of the queen of Ethiopia. And yet this powerful man didn't have the power to unlock the meaning of God's word. He needed help making sense of his personal experience and what scripture was trying to tell him. And thankfully, Jesus didn't leave him in this place of frustration. When Philip arrives, he quickly assesses the situation and he offers to help. I have to say it provides for this funny image, right, of Philip running alongside this carriage with the eunuch fussing and fuming on the inside and Philip breathlessly offering to help. But he's probably seen this frustration before. Someone feeling much like he probably did when he was sitting at Jesus' feet trying to comprehend all that Jesus was teaching him. The eunuch responds to him, without someone to guide me, how could I? And that's Philip's chance. Into the carriage he goes, into a teachable moment as they discuss the scripture and the eunuch gets to ask his questions. Reminds me of a story that I read about a recent Harvard graduate. Paul Borthwick tells about a young man from his church. He stopped in at a McDonald's in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and there he saw Roger, who he knew was from the youth, young adult ministry at his church, and that Roger had recently graduated from Harvard University with a master's degree. So he greeted him and managed to, to catch him at a time where he was ready to take a break, and so they grabbed some coffee and just chatted. He said, what are you doing here, knowing that 
Someone with a Harvard's master's degree probably doesn't typically aspire to work the counter at McDonald's. And Roger replied to him, well, you know, it's been four months since I graduated, haven't been able to find a job, but I really needed to start working. And so um, this is where I am for a season. And Paul said, wow, you know, I'm sorry, this, this must be hard. But Roger stopped him short and said, no, no, don't be sorry. This is where God wants me to be right now. This place is awesome. It gives me a great chance to share my faith. And he went on to say that, that his shift, he worked with a Buddhist man from Sri Lanka and an Indian um, Hindu woman from India with a Muslim man from Lebanon and a fellow Christian from El Salvador all on one shift. And he said, it's, it's like being in the mission field. I get to talk about my faith here. And I believe that this is where God wants me to be right now. You see, Roger found himself in a setting he probably would have never chosen to be, right, in his long-term plan of life. But his mindset of living as a person that is sent um, by God to this place has shaped his way of looking at his circumstances and at the people around him. Like Philip being sent to the Ethiopian eunuch, Roger sees his current circumstances as being sent to this McDonald's for a season. And so I ask, how many times have we had someone sent to us at just the right time to speak into a hurt that maybe we are experiencing in our lives? Or to offer a word of instruction or encouragement? Or to create a safe space where we can ask the questions that we feel like we need to ask? Have you ever been Philip to someone else? What really did Philip do? He proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ to someone who was seeking something that had eluded him. He didn't teach some complicated teaching from the Old Testament or the latest theological doctrine the rabbis were working on. He told the Ethiopian about Jesus and the good news that Jesus brought to people like him and really to everyone. No matter what the religious authorities might say about his worthiness to worship in the temple or about rules that make one holy or unholy, Jesus came so that everyone might be loved and honored and forgiven and made whole again. Jesus died on that cross so that everyone could rise above our own brokenness, our own sinfulness, our own hurt, in order to be baptized into eternal life with Christ, even this eunuch. When we share a little bit about what Jesus means to us, we are sharing a part of the good news that Jesus is in our lives. How Jesus helps us to rise above whatever is going on personally. And I'm so thankful that we have gotten the chance to hear stories from our own church family the past couple of weeks, and today is um, no exception. And so I am thrilled to invite Hayden um, Uzalak to come and share part of his story about how he has tried to be a faithful follower of Jesus, about what his faith has meant to him. Thanks, Hayden. Good morning. 
First of all, it's pronounced Uzalac, but you're probably close. I am about as old as this current building. This opened in 2000, and I have spent all my life worshiping in this building. My family moved here from Hershey, Pennsylvania 20 years ago when Dad accepted a new job as general manager at the Broyhill Inn. They worshiped at the old building that used to be the church and center for about a few months until this new church opened. I'm known for a lot of things. Our family is crazy about the Gamecocks. My grandfather was well-known at Crossroads, and he always had a story to tell. And I myself am known for having a great sense of humor, obsessed with video games and cartoons, and a lot of other fun stuff. But those who know me well uh, know that I'm part of the autistic spectrum. And being a member of the United Methodist Church has um, given me strength so I can overcome the obstacles that being with that a person with Asperger's has. A lot of my favorite memories come from this church. I went to preschool here, including a trip to an apple orchard where we pretended a white barn was the church itself. In third grade after church, I had this Sunday school called Bible Breakout where we learned about the different books of the Bible. And I led the class in the Lord's Prayer after every Bible Breakout session. That and the only thing else I remember is one of the teachers butchering a cake. I was like, what are you doing? Follow the directions! Then in fourth and fifth grade, I went to Club 45 on Wednesday afternoons. It was a class where we learned about Christ together and got to create cool videos. I brought along some friends from school to, so they can experience what it was like growing up here. Then the eighth grade, I started being a crucifer. It was pretty fun. I, it takes a lot of practice when during the 11 o'clock service, and I don't typically attend that service. You usually find us at 8.45. But it's a lot of fun, and sometimes I get to carry banners for Palm Sunday or Pentecost, too. One time even led by a donkey there. But one of my favorite memories has got to be Vacation Bible School. Every summer I looked forward to that magical week in June or July where I would learn about what the good things God has done for us, the cool stories, the songs, making arts and crafts. When I had graduated from being a student, I transitioned to being an assistant crew leader and then helped on stage for a couple years. I have made a lot of great friends from being here at church. If you know my mom, she's part of the Handbell Arenas, and uh, every Wednesday night she is at the church for two hours, and sometimes I go just to hear them play or go to their concerts when I was little. The choir director, Dana Davis, I, I just finished up a job with her by helping with the, her music for a database online, like a spreadsheet. And my mom also works in the office on some occasions. On some Thursdays, I, when school's not in session, I come in, help her work, and stuff bulletins, and see my friends. 
Barb DeClose, who's no longer with us, she lives in Minnesota now. She was our bookkeeper, and she had a big heart. To Jennifer Whittington and John Aaron, what can I say? Jennifer, you, you always make the people laugh, and we've had a lot of memories together. I was at their wedding. We went to Tweetsie together. You know, we were crazy about the Panthers when we went to the Super Bowl. But there are a lot of other people who I know very well from my time here at church. Vern Collins, Johnny Carson, the pastors, David Hockett, Lori Beth Huffman, Jason Biasey, John Fitzgerald. My youth leaders, Josh Herman and, and Ben Fitzgerald. And all the friends I've made over the way through preschool and more. Madison McKenzie Robinson, Kaylee Haas, Luke Middlebrook. Sophie Reese, Mary Lovins, and a lot of other names who I, who I won't mention by name here, but they'll always be in my heart. So the theme here is to explain what being a Christian means to me. But sometimes it's hard to talk about being a Christian because of the stereotypes that they are accused of nowadays. For example, the media says that they're homophobic and they don't really trust the LGBTQ community. They condemn other religions, they say, like those who follow Islam or or Judaism. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, the that people are not willing to accept God's love, especially after a mass shooting. The Christian leaders offer thoughts and prayers, but most of the public is unwilling to accept it and refuse to believe that God is with them. When I was young, I, I tried, I didn't really understand how these race and religions were persecuted and just remain steadfast in being a Christian. But then in, in June 2016, at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida, a gunman opened fire. 49 members of the LGBT community were killed. It was at that time the deadliest mass shooting in American history. And then I understood why these race and religions are persecuted But the truth of the matter is the Lord loves all of us, no matter who we are, because he commanded for us to go and make disciples of all nations, something that a lot of Christian leaders often forget. But we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God loves all of us and he commands us to love one another as he has loved us. I would like to close by talking about my favorite Bible verse. It comes from the book of Philippians. It says, I can do all things through God who gives me strength. This reminds me that God is always with us. And being part of the spectrum, he gives me strength to be part of the community, and make me stand out in my own way. 
these times may be tough and I'm headed back to college in a week, but no matter what this journey called life takes me, I'll always remember that he was the one who died for our sins and that he will always be with us, giving me the strength to succeed. Thank you very much. I know what I should do right now. I should just say amen and go sit down. I know that. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you, Hayden. Um, And, y'all, that's what this is about. Hearing these stories from Lydia and Hayden and being reminded that this church, you, this church family, helped shape and form amazing people that go out into the world and tell that story. That is what being part of this community is all about. And it's a privilege. It's a privilege to hear these stories and be reminded that our God is a living God that moves in and among us in powerful ways. Now, as we've listened to these stories, sometimes we have heard people who have had experiences where God has moved in a grand and specific way. For others of us, we look at our lives and we think, God, there's no one moment, no one moment that was a turning point in our faith. There was no one point where without it, we wouldn't be where we are today. It feels like our own story was a long, gradual one. And if that's your story, then don't be hard on yourself. Because it reminds me of a traumatic event in my own life when I was in seminary. One summer, I decided, okay, I need to add to my income. And so I went and applied for a job as a youth pastor outside of Atlanta in a community called Conyers, Georgia. And when I was interviewing about the third or fourth question in, one of the staff parish committee members looked at me and said, so um, when was it that you were, were saved? And I heard the question, but I was um, surprised a bit. And so I asked him to repeat it. He said, where was the place and the date when you were saved? And I looked at him and I said, I don't know. And I didn't because I couldn't in that moment. I was like, oh my gosh, I am failing my faith because I couldn't think of one moment where I had accepted Christ into my heart and my life was different after that point in time. I couldn't remember a time when I didn't love Jesus in my heart. And confirmation for me was an affirmation of what I rudimentally already believed. And I kind of freaked out, and needless to say, that interview might as well have just ended at that point in time, and I did not get that job. But um, I thankfully learned a little bit later on in seminary that John Wesley would have said to me in that moment, people come to their faith in different ways. Some people have a mountaintop experience that is life-changing. They are not the same after that. But for others, 
that way to salvation is a slow and a gradual um, process and a journey. And they are formed and shaped over time. And either one of those paths into a relationship with Jesus is just fine. Or any combination of the two is just fine. So lest you sit here and think, well, I'm no Philip. I'm no testimony bearer. I'm not worthy to guide anyone. Pause and see if you're using that as an excuse. Because the God I worship and the God I love and know and the God I read about in scriptures can and will use anyone. And the only requirement that God asks of them is to be willing to be willing. Are you willing? Because to share one story and to share good news with someone else might be easier than you think. So bear with me for just a second. When we offer our story, we are offering a means of grace as we enter into conversation. And offering a grace-filled conversation to someone is a little bit like offering someone one of your potato chips. Want one? Go ahead. Help yourself. Okay, great. Want one? Please take it. Thank you. <laughs> what I've learned, when we have a grace-filled, grace-based conversation with someone um, that we are meeting, one of the best ways to do that is to express interest in who they are, to talk about things that they care about that are important to their life. And when we do that, it's kind of like having a bag of potato chips and saying, want one? This will be great. <laughs> hey. Um, no, you stole my snack stash. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he said I stole his snack stash. <laughs> So, hey, what is it like working with some of the folks that you work with? Want one? Just take a chip. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, what book are you reading these days? Do you like it? Want one? So, um, have you been from around here for a while, or are you new to the area? Want one? Sometimes then you're able to work the conversation into something that's a little deeper, that maybe is a little closer to the heart. So it might look like something like, um, man, how do you manage life and balance life right now with all of the chaos that you have surrounding you? Want one? Yeah. Oh, I, oh, yeah, I'm a willing taker here. Hey, you know what? I know a scripture that might be encouraging to you. Want one? My man. <laughs> or I know this story about a father whose son disappointed him so terribly. Want one? <laughs> or maybe I'm going to be praying for you this week. Want one? And I don't do this lightly about likening, offering a conversation of grace with a potato chip. Because there is a connection here. You see... When we offer grace-infused conversations, they always offer folks um, something they don't expect. And so these conversations are rich in love and in sincere interest, in unexpected sympathy and empathy, and sometimes in undeserved forgiveness 
and a much-needed word of hope. They're conversations which, by the miraculous help of the Holy Spirit, they touch something soul deep. Words that go where no one else has. I think Hayden has done a beautiful example of that this morning. And they make a person want more. Because you see, these conversations, whether they realize it or not, they're grace-infused words that are salty and tasty. And they make a person to want more. And they make a person to want more and thirst for Jesus. You see, the Ethiopian eunuch had a thirst for learning more about Jesus. We live in a world with people who have a thirst to learn more about what Jesus has to offer, and they may not understand that, and the church may do a terrible job at offering it. But you and I can do better. You and I can do this. We see what the good news can do. We know how it can change lives. And sometimes all it needs to get started in someone else is someone to explain what their faith means to them and then to show genuine interest. So friends, I hear this this morning as a call to take responsibility to understand what Jesus Christ's good news is, what it means to us personally, and then find the courage to share it. I care about you. Want one? I am interested in you. Want one? Our God is amazing. Want one?